Welcome to Doc to Doc podcast. My name is Abbas Shafi, gastroenterologist. And I'm Rob Hoyer, medical oncologist. This is a podcast about lifestyle medicine, disease prevention, and longevity. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not medical advice. Please consult your physician for individualized therapies. Please also check out our website at doc2doc.health. That's D-O-C, number two, D-O-C, dot health. There you can leave us messages, make suggestions for future episodes, and ask us questions. And now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of doc to doc podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Andrew Freeman, who's a cardiologist at National Jewish uh, Health in Denver, Colorado. And he's, we're here to talk about lifestyle medicine and specifically how you can keep your cardiovascular system healthy. So we're so excited. I have a, a brief uh, bio about Dr. Freeman. He completed his training at um, medical school at SUNY, Buff- uh, SUNY Buffalo. And, uh, and then uh, after graduating from Cornell, and then did his cardiolo- internal medicine at Brown University and cardiology training at uh, Temple University in Philadelphia. He serves as the director of clinical cardiology and director of cardiovascular prevention and wellness and is an associate professor of medicine. He hosts the monthly Walk with a Doc program. Uh, and uh, Dr. C- Dr. Cohen, who we previously interviewed, is a part of that and recommended we, we speak with uh, Dr. Freeman. And he heads up the Ornish uh, Lifestyle Medicine Program at National Jewish, I think is, is so cool. So welcome, Dr. Freeman. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, we just had a couple questions here to, to and uh, just wanted to start out and just maybe talk a little bit about your your experience caring for, for pa- cardiovascular patients and how you got into lifestyle medicine. Sure. Well, so I, I mean, it probably goes back to when I was a, a kid. You know, I grew up in New York and, um, you know, never really took it in and understood exactly why all of my friends' parents were either dropping dead, having heart attacks or cancer um, early in life. And then when I think about how I grew up, right, it wasn't a bagel and cream cheese. It was a bagel and three inches of cream cheese. It was, you know, a pizza pizza weighed five pounds or it was seven inches high of pastrami. So we ate like kings and queens. We didn't move very much. And I, I never really added it up in my brain, believe it or not, you know, and then went to med school in Buffalo, home of the Buffalo wing, of course, and then uh, in Rhode Island, where you could get all sorts of uh, greasy and delicious things. And then I trained at Temple in North Philadelphia, you know, and the healthiest thing around the hospital was a soft pretzel, if it wasn't a cheesesteak or greasy Chinese food or whatever. And I, I never really, you know, thought about this. It wasn't really taught medical school. We learned nutrition for burns. Um you know, they told us to push boost on people, which is basically just cheese byproducts um, and, and hope for the best. And, you know, we would see young people who ate poorly or had bad genes or both uh, that had heart attacks. And we say, you know, don't eat cheesesteaks. And then we would go eat a cheesesteak for lunch. Uh, so nothing really added up. So like every good cardiology fellow, I kind of conformed. Um, and then when I came out to Colorado, um, within a year or so, two years, maybe at the very most, you know, I was throwing pills at people like everyone else. And nobody really got better. So then I started walking with my patients uh, once a month on a weekend and people really got inspired by that and started to get a little better. And I said, well, I bet I can do even better. So I started reading about um, nutrition and I was floored at the knowledge that I never had. I couldn't believe that all this information was not routinely discussed in everyday practice, especially with the exploding costs of medicine and how sick people were getting. And so we were up in Steamboat on a family vacation. I was reading the China study 
Um, and if you haven't read that, read that, you should definitely read it. Um, we had had a, a greasy cheeseburger for dinner and that was my last ever. And from that point forward, I became plant-based and I not only lost the 30 plus pounds I gained during fellowship, but redid my own life insurance physical and got a rebate check in the mail. So I said, there must be something to this and then started doing it with my patients. And for the first time ever, I would see blood pressure go into remission. I'd see asthma go into remission. I'd see heart failure normalize. I'd see people just get their lives back. And I'm like, my goodness, this is what I want to do. So now I work, you know, at a big respiratory hospital, I take care of all sorts of absolutely rare and random things that most of us read during medical school training in those big books that most of us can't recall anymore. Um, and now I get to see people get better and I incorporate nutrition and lifestyle into every single visit because it really improves outcomes so very much. And now uh, when I started out 11 plus 12 years ago doing this, I was definitely a fish swimming upstream and now there's more fish swimming upstream. And, you know, for the most part, almost every um, professional society on the planet now endorses this approach and the results are extraordinary. They really are probably the most powerful and inspiring that one could ever hope for. So bottom line is um, I wish I would have done this sooner and I wish it was, I wish it would have been part of our education process a lot earlier. So. Yeah, we've talked about that previously on the podcast about how that kind of part about lifestyle was kind of just omitted from the from the curricula. Uh, Abbas, would you like to take the next question? Um, sure. One of the things that I run through uh, with our um, plant-based diet, they eat a lot of processed food, and I have tried to very much encourage them to to not, you know, it's great to be plant-based um, uh, diet, but also the processed food and packaged food and, you know, um, taste-enhancing food, those are sometimes common as bad. How do you approach that with the patient that tell them to stop um, eating the processed food while you, you know, eating um, you know, a great uh, uh, diet. So there was a couple of studies recently published that actually showed that if you are a junk food vegan, right? So remember Oreo cookies and licorice and Coca-Cola are all plant-based, um, that you actually do worse than an omnivore. So in general, I usually tell people that we need to eat like peasants if we wish to live like kings and queens. So what does that mean? It means that you shop in the produce section, you get what's on sale, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, rice, oats, whatever it is. And I think if we do that, the results will be extraordinary. And that's basically it. So when people say to me, well, I eat beyond burgers and impossible burgers and you know, all this stuff, you know, I would say, look, they're better than the original, but they're very, very high fat. They're highly processed and they're probably not helpful. So getting people to realize that we're supposed to eat in an uh, unprocessed whole way is very challenging. And you know, where I grew up, right? I mean, anywhere you go, ultra processed foods are the first thing you see. You know, you get gas in your car or if you electrically charge it and walk into the convenience store, you know, what do you see? It's just all ultra processed foods. One of the things I say to my patients are the longer the shelf life, the shorter your life. Exactly. Um, so I try to get people to really understand that, but I think you bring up a great point. It's not just being plant-based, it's being, whole food, unprocessed, low-fat, plant-based. And I want to point out that people say, well, tofu, that's processed, right? It, it is, but it is minimally processed. You know, if you take a um, edamame and you put them in a bag, you know, technically that could be processed. Uh, I would say that's not the kind of processing we're talking about. We're talking about a meaningful transformation of the product far away from its original. 
And some of these time-tested things like fermented tofu or, or fermented um, wheat gluten, tempeh, is, uh, and, um, you know, these are not harmful things. So Yeah, I live opposite of you. I uh, was born in a tiny little village in Iran, which were near 90% we whatever we grow, we ate. And when I came to America, it was shocking. And uh, and um, that's probably one of the reasons I went to GI, because uh, I uh, see what the people are eating. And and, and uh, when you look at the studies, it, it proved that uh, you, know, you, you need to eat uh, fresh fruit and fresh vegetables and uh, uh, eliminate the processed food. But uh, it's a war. It's a war against, I mean, us against the food industry. I and mean, Every, even you go to probably to your hospital, you go to the, to a physician lounge. It's nothing but processed food and sodas and uh, you know Cheetos and all of that. So so it, yeah. it's challenging, but I think uh, I think the whole country is ready for a change. And and I'm so glad that you uh, leading uh, you know some in Denver and, and here we Rob and I we're trying to at least initiate to wake our patient up that uh, yeah you know I tell people fast food fast life so. So, so sometimes in the more spending time in the kitchen, the less in uh, your doctor's visit. And of course, you see the end stage of it. We we deal with heartburn and digestion. Uh, you end up with cardiology. I says, who gets heartburn? It means uh, you're gonna die of heart disease. It's not from esophagus or esophageal cancer. Very rarely. So, so, so. Uh, yeah, you you bring up some great points. So, you know, first, I always tell people that if you go back, no matter where you're from. And you go back to your grandparents, grandparents, grandparents' generation, and you eat the way they did, chances are you're eating very little meat because it was very pricey and rare in the diet. And you were eating fruits, vegetables, potatoes, grains, whatever it may be, beans and rice in many places. Um, and that's a healthful way to be. And then more recently, you know, and where I grew up in New York, you know, it wasn't dinner unless there was a big piece of meat on your plate. And what I always tell people is if you don't want to go all the way, which, you know, I understand, although I would tell you that you probably should, you know, it shouldn't be a big piece of fish on your plate and a few carrots on the side. It should be a big plate of carrots and a bite of fish. But the more you learn about your food, the more you're not going to want to eat that stuff anyway, right? Like even fish loaded with PCBs, dioxins, heavy metals, organophosphates, microplastics, nuclear fallout. And if we all ate fish the way our professional societies recommend, there wouldn't be a fish left in the ocean tomorrow. So, you know, the more we learn, the more we have to change. And I think the future of our planet, the future of our health, the future of our society depends on us making these massive changes now. And it's crazy to me that doctors are kind of poo-pooing the environment. Well, I didn't go into medicine to talk about the healthy environment or the planetary health. But at the end of the day, without planetary health, there's no health at all, right? Exactly. So we all have to think about these things. And so I think you bring on a lot of really important um, points. And one of the things I tell my, my patients, especially if they're not from the United States, is I say, the first thing you want to do is not eat like an American. The second thing you want to do is figure out your great grandparents seasoning sauces, salsas, whatever it is, because you could take the most bland vegetable that's maybe not even fully ripe and put it on a good sauce. And all of a sudden it's delicious. Exactly. And all those sauces are made out of spices and vegetables. So I think you bring up some really important points and we have to do better, but here's the clincher. You'll love this. So I helped to found the American College of Cardiology's Nutrition and Lifestyle Workgroup, and we published a survey of a thousand cardiologists. And it turns out that almost none of us know anything about nutrition, and very few of us are eating more than just a handful of fruits and vegetables a day. You know, the USDA says we're supposed to get between five and 13 servings a day. And I think that I probably get, I don't know, 14 or 15 at least. And I think that the vast majority of people are getting one or zero. It's just mind blowing. And these are doctors. 
So, right. Dr. Yeah, Bibi, it, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I says, uh, you're bringing a great point about the salsas and all of that. And, you know, um, when you look at, um, you know, some from Iran and India and many Asian cultures, food was a medicine that those salsa stuff like that, that was all anti-inflammatory as well, not only for cardiovascular well-being, it's for preventing pain and arthritis and inflammation and all of that as well. So, 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 so it's great to go to those ancient recipes and because the before 1990s, it was uh, 1900s, I mean, the, the truly food was medicine at my home. The, my, my, uh, my grandparents, my mom, they always match the process, I mean, the, the, the food that they're processing and cooking the, uh, based on the season, based on the, the temperature outside, based on what you're eating and uh, what your plan is for the next uh, day or so. So, so it's a, these are um, great things uh, to, to go back and learn from our past. Go ahead, Rob. Could you talk a little bit about the link between sugar and sugar equivalents, like you know, white flour and cardiovascular disease? That's something that I, I've noticed in patients. They when they convert over to plant based or they're trying to go more plant based, they end up they end up eating a lot more sugary foods. Yeah. No. So a couple of points about sugars and so forth. So first, I never recommend added sugars. Uh, the sugars that come naturally in fruits and vegetables are great. Um, and I think that's important uh, for people to hear. And then you may see actually some news got released today about how some of the artificial sweeteners, erythritol and others may actually be linked to early cardiovascular disease. So what I usually tell people is, you know, diet soda is just as bad as regular soda and the perfect beverage for human consumption remains water with a close second by unsweetened tea and unsweetened coffee. The other thing you'll often hear is about sugar and diabetes. So what I would tell you is first, the causative feature of diabetes is not necessarily sugar. It's really fat excess. You get fatty deposits in the liver and, uh, and uh, Abbas, you probably see this all the time. If you have a patient who has fatty liver, almost always they're either pre-diabetic or diabetic, but they also have fatty deposits in the muscles. And then as a result, when they eat sweet things or white carbs or sugars, their glut receptors don't work as well. And so their sugars are higher. So you'll hear people say, well, you can control your carbs and your sugar will be better. That's true, but it is a subset of the truth. The cure for diabetes, which was proven in 1940 by Walter Kempner at Duke, was the white rice and fruit diet. So he fed his patients sugar and had them walk all over North Carolina and cured diabetes and heart disease in the vast, vast majority of them. So eye-opening data back from, you know, what seems like a, almost 100 years ago. So, um, so what I would say is this, you know, we know that diabetes, if you have it, and we know that excess sugar, if, if it's in your blood, is a toxin to a lot of different organs, including blood vessels. So diabetes is considered a coronary artery disease risk equivalent, uh, and we treat you know coronary disease risk factors even more aggressively in diabetics. But I would say that in general, um, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, when people eat fruits and vegetables that contain sugar, many times their blood sugars don't necessarily spike in the same way like if they were to eat a candy. Now here's the problem. I can give you the most ripe strawberry, raspberry, whatever your favorite fruit is, and it will, it will uh, absolutely uh, pale in comparison to you know, some artificially created sugar candy. So our sweetostat, if you will, our thermostat for sweets can be adjusted in a way that you don't find fruit nearly as delicious until you stop eating it for a couple of weeks and see how it goes. Same thing for salt. You know, Most of my uh, friends and colleagues growing up salt their food before it even gets in their mouth. And as a result, their salt thermostat is up at the you know, super high. So bottom line is I think we can do a lot better. And I, I would, you know, don't get me wrong, right? Once a year, you want to have a 
whatever, go for it. I would tell you that these days you can find a vegan version of virtually any sweet you can imagine that's absolutely delicious, but it doesn't mean that it's healthful. So you really should limit those. Exactly. And also another thing is that these taste enhancing chemicals that they put on sodas and sugars. And I tell my patient, as long as you drink soda, particularly I think diet soda is worse, that you cannot drink water. It's not palatable. The next one, you just want more and more. It becomes a, a behavior that you cannot stop unless you stop it for a couple of weeks, then starting from water, then then the water. Just a lot of times they hate the water as well because you're drinking so much sugary drinks, you know, whether it's Gatorade, whether it's uh, soda and all of that. And that's the same thing with salt and the same thing with fast food. It's like you become a sort of rat in this environment and just they keep feeding you all of that and you just completely... Uh, yeah, what's that? Uh, you becomes the their 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 instrument of buying their their product. Uh, right. Yeah, they deregulated your control mechanisms. You know, exactly. I would tell you that. You know, with all due respect, uh, Coca Cola uh, or Diet Coke for that is the perfect neuroaddictive substance. It's amazing, right? Like I used to drink when I was in medical school five a day before I discovered coffee and tea, not realizing that it was doing me harm. Um, and I guess what I would say is that in general. Um, food manufacturers have figured out how to make things unbelievably irresistible. And I think this is in part why there's all this dysregulation in human bodies and so much obesity that's going on because it's easy to override uh, brain mechanisms that were in place. Um, you know, we all crave sugar and salt. And these are the reason we crave them is because they were so darn rare in the environment, right? I mean, many animals have to go find a salty rock to lick believe it or not, because salt is so rare in the environment. And now I can eat all the salt and sugar I can possibly want in 10 seconds. Um, you know, so I, I think you're, you're spot on and it, it's, uh, it's sad. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, big food probably didn't mean to harm people in the process, but they have. And now we have to, you know, we have to work on repealing that. You know, I think for the docs that are listening, you know, going to your hospital system and at least adding a plant-based menu option in your cafeteria and on your patient menus is very doable. I find even in my own hospital, I can't get rid of bacon or hot dogs, even though they're considered to be as cancer causing as cigarettes. And Abbas, you know this better than anyone, right? The number uh, one uh, fastest growing cancer is colon cancer in young people. Exactly. Yep. I mean, it's mind blowing. And yet we are serving these very things. I, I always tell people that $1.50 Costco hot dog will cost you much more than $1.50. So. Yeah, there was at the value meal at McDonald's. When you put the, in all the cholesterol medication, hypertension heart disease, <laughs> is, is 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 not a, a really worth it that much. It is, it is. A, I think a pandemic. You know, we see the from initially with reflux, fatty liver, colon cancer, and um, and it it is. A, and the interesting thing, as as you mentioned, is doable. Once you go to that, a sort of plant based uh, diet, it's really. Uh, um, really, um, after a couple of weeks, is, you, you just don't want to eat uh, that heavy meat and all of that. I remember when my mom came here, we went to one of our doctor's friend and he's a rancher. He, he put the steak in front of her and she looked at me and said, is that for me? He says, I says, I think so. He said, I can cook with this for 12 people and make it more satisfied, more healthier than just that. She just looked at that. It was like, I've never seen such thing can happen in the world, but, uh, but unfortunately, but a lot of our patients, they got to have their sausage in the morning and their prime ribs or steak in the evening or hamburger for lunch. And, and they do not want to uh, take responsibility, rather take appeals. Um, so 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 I think we have a lot of work to do. And I think, uh, um, I think uh, just take one by one. Hopefully we can make some input in the 
in our uh, patient and our society. Yeah, and I think we need to make this this kind of conversation more commonplace. I commonly call this the American curse, where you work hard your whole life, you save your money, you get ready for retirement, and what do you look forward to? Heart attacks, strokes, dementia, erectile dysfunction. I mean, it's a terrible way to retire, and a lot of it is avoidable. And with heart disease on the upturn, right, we now are headed back up on our heart disease rates. We need to do something now. And I think doctors need to talk about it. I think doctors and patients need to talk about it. And I think it needs to be something that's featured all the time. I mean, when I say to my patient, I just want to let you know, with all due respect, I know you enjoyed your breakfast, but that sausage was con is considered by the World Health Organization to be as cancer causing as cigarettes. You know, they go wide eyed for a minute. Well, what do you mean? And I said, yeah, it's not me who came up with this. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's so nice you believe in this. And I said, it's not that I believe in this. This is the data, right? So my mentor, uh, Dr. Kim Williams from the American College of Cardiology, he was bold enough to say there are two types of cardiologists, those that are vegan and those who haven't read the data. Now, it's a very bold statement with wow. a lot of truth in it, but it is, it's hard for people to swallow, no pun intended. So... Um. Just one, one other question about implementation when you're talking with patients. What do you do? You have a dietitian. Do you have some books you recommend or websites yeah. you, get, you send you send folks to? Yeah, no. So great question. So I think it's very unfair, right? Like a lot of us will say, "Oh, you should exercise and eat better, see you later." And then of course the patient comes back and they're heavier and sicker and haven't done any of that. So we have our walk program. We have a transitioning to plant-based support group, which people can find on the National Jewish website njhealth.org. It's free. It's over Zoom. So check it out. Um, but I also give them a packet of materials with some documentaries that I like for them to watch, things like Forks Over Knives and Eating You Alive and Game Changers um, and a number of others. Um, I usually give them uh, from PCRM, uh, the Vegetarian Starter Guide. Kaiser has a bunch of pamphlets. Believe it or not, Kaiser pushes this at a national level. So I have some of their pamphlets I give out. Um, but really, I start the conversation with what did you eat for dinner and how much do you exercise? and get a sense of what they're doing. And then I said, well, let's, let's focus a little on prevention, right? You're only 50 or 40 or 60 or 70 or whatever it is. Um, let's talk about how we can get you to feel better with less doctoring as you get older. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, let's explore a few things. You already told me you exercised or whatever. But I also think it's important for all of us to master a few components of something called motivational interviewing, right? So when you talk with a patient, many times they'll give you some clues. I really like to I don't know, walk out fishing and I like the hike, but I can't do it because I'm not feeling well. Okay, well, let's talk about how we can get you feeling better so you can do the things you enjoy. Or I love my grandchildren. I, I bet all of us have had patients come in and talking about their grandchildren. Great. Um, well, do you want to be Grandpa Joe in the corner drooling to yourself or do you want to be dancing at your great grandkids wedding? And use those motivational cues and uh, to, to get people to change their behavior. And am I successful in getting all of my patients to go 100% plant-based? No, I wish I was, but I'm not. But I do get almost all of them to make some changes and probably 10 to 15% do go all the way. And the results are extraordinary. And particularly for those who've already had a cardiac event when they enroll in our intensive cardiac rehab program, which is based on the work of Dean Ornish, the results are amazing. I mean, angina melts away, A1C drops, weight goes down. Um, exercise capacity increases, mental health improves. I mean, it's like a, the most magical black box pill you could ever give. So I guess at the end of the day, asking questions every visit, what you have for dinner last night, how much are you exercising? Basic things is a great way to start. And then if a patient has interest, 
ask for permission before you attack them, right? So if you say, well, that sucks, don't do that, you're gonna die. Patients are like, oh my God, I'm not doing this. I certainly have had patients go out to the patient advocate and ask for a new cardiologist. So instead, you know, hey, is it okay if I'm critical of your diet? And at the end, I usually say something like, look, you can eat exactly the way you're eating now and I'll still be here to take care of you. Wouldn't it be nice to be on less medicine and feel better? And that really resonates with a lot of people, although there certainly are some who are like, no way. Yes, I've even gotten a rancher to be mostly plant-based, which is pretty amazing. So wow. to sell their product as opposed to eat it. So I think uh, one of the things I try to push actually as, as one of my three, uh, the patient, I go through all their daily average menu. And one of the things I think that uh, cause a majority of the sleep apnea, that is the dinner in America. We have left breakfast and lunch and we come home even, even plant-based overeat and then go to sleep and we get refluxed and sleep apnea. So I try to motivate them to go for a walk after dinner and try to minimize dinner after 6 p.m. Just, uh, as you say, just give little pointers. And uh, of course, I see them, the reflux, you see them as coronary artery disease. Uh, and, and it's amazing. In, even one week, just reducing the dinner time and just 10, 15 minutes walk an hour after dinner, uh, they, they feel better. They, they re reduce some of the medicine. Yeah, it's, I think it's... Uh, yeah, you need to get patient involved and give them the, the I tell them I can show them the road that they have to do the walk. So, uh, so, so, uh, so I says, initially they see me, but they end up with cardiology and this number <laughs> one, uh, uh, what's the cause of death in America. So, 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 so I think you know, eating habit, the, the data of the time and how, what you're eating. Uh, I said, well, for me, the processed food is the biggest thing that I see on my vegan and vegetarian diet. And I'm trying to educate them. And uh, once they realize that, I think they, Everybody wants to live longer. Everybody wants to take less medicine. It's so expensive these days. So, so it's a great point. Yeah, so we're in. So we're at thirty minutes. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Freeman, for doing this. And uh, where, where can uh, uh, do you have anything else to say? And uh, where can our listeners find you? Um, so you can find me. I, I'm on Twitter. I'm not a very active tweeter, but you can find me at Heart Cure Doc. Uh, you can certainly find me online. I, I work at National Jewish in Denver, so would be happy to. Uh, see some of your patients if they're in the metro region happy to do that and then uh, uh i do speak regularly so i hope to see some of you at conferences like peapod or the plantrition project project uh, or the uh, international conference on nutrition and medicine in dc this summer uh but it'd be lovely to see as many of you as possible so take care that'd, thanks for having me that'd be great and also we have our podcast on some of the dietaries and mediterranean diet you may just uh, listen if they're worth it and give it to your patients yeah i would love to do that well, great for your uh, appreciate your time. We're looking forward to meet you face to face and hopefully have maybe a few more of this conversation uh, that benefit not us, our patient as well. Yes, absolutely. This has been lovely. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. Take care.